No wonder it was so drained by the dreaming. It was a frayed wire, energy leaking at a hundred different points. Chapter 55, page 388, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers and how about we just punch a hitman, huh? That sounds like fun. <laughs> This is episode 29, and we are covering chapters 54 through 59 of The Dream Thieves. And there was a little bit of a misspeaking last time when we said we'd be going through 60, but 60 is actually going to be in our last episode. We will also be taking a deep dive on transformative journeys to the underworld. Yay! Mm -hmm. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. Mm -hmm. We will use pronunciations from the audiobooks and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me. This podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, but hopefully no gray man violence. I don't think so. I don't think I have the focus <laughs> no. for that today. <laughs> no. We did a recreation of the Ronin Grayman fight in my living room just about 20 <laughs> minutes ago. It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> okay, so let's get on with this episode. Let's yeah. do that. Well, straight off the bat, it is the penultimate episode of season two. Penultimate is such a great word. <laughs> I know. I think we said it last time, I, too. Yeah, I was going to make sure that we said it this time, too. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to reiterate what we talked about last episode, which is we will be doing a season wrap-up and a second anniversary episode. Instead of doing a season wrap-up in the next episode, episode 30, mm-hmm. we're going to do something separate with our thoughts and favorite moments or how things went in season two and what we're looking forward to in season three. Yeah. And if you have any questions or comments, send them our way, because I think it would be super fun to especially get some like behind the scenes questions or maybe non Raven cycle stuff like Mm -hmm. other books that we've read or are reading or like how the podcast is made or maybe other podcasts we listen to or Mm -hmm. it kind of be fun to do some questions like that too. Absolutely. Not that we can't ask each other that, but we already know. (laughs) (laughs) And I will try to remember to remind people on social media and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Awesome. So we'll put it out there again, of course, but that's what we're looking Mm -hmm. for. All right. Okay, to get into chapters. Chapter 54. It's a Ronin POV. Mora takes Ronin and Gansey and Blue to the Gray Man and tells Ronin to plead his case. This goes about as well as one would expect. (laughs) Despite this, the Gray Man actually agrees not to turn Ronin over to Green Mantle. Yep. And Ronan starts out with, why are we here, man? Mm -hmm. And he's allowed Chainsaw to freely roam. She wouldn't be truly happy until she'd done a perimeter search. I feel (laughs) the same. (laughs) She is his bird. Yes, yeah. (laughs) They go into where the gray man's been staying. And Ronan says, there are more goddamn roosters in a Hitchcock movie. 
And Gainsey asks, are you referring to the birds? Mm -hmm. And this cracks me up because I had thought that there were no chickens in the movie The Birds, Mm -hmm. but there actually are. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this cracks me up because, like I said, I thought that Gainsey was right, that there aren't any chickens or roosters in The Birds. Mm -hmm. There are lots of seagulls and crows. And also, the decor is so stereotypically Southern. Mm -hmm. Like the country farm, roosters everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it reminds Reminds me of my partner's aunt's house. Right. A little bit of trivia about the birds, I guess. It actually was filmed in San Simeon, where I used to work. Wow. Interesting. (laughs) I drove past the little church that is in one of the end scenes. Like, it's right next to the highway. I drove past it on my way to Hearst Castle, where I used to work. That's wild. Twice a day. (laughs) Going there and coming back from home. Yeah, it had been a long time since I've seen the birds, so I... I saw it once as a kid. I don't remember. I've seen it once, like, a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. And there does happen to be a scene where you don't see the chickens, but a farmer is killed by his chickens. Okay. So I I, I added that to the show notes. Awesome. <laughs> Kala does her version of Chainsaw's room check mm-hmm. and comes up with a gun and a waffle iron. And the waffle iron confuses me way more than the gun. Death waffles. <laughs> Have you heard of my new metal band? Death, Death Waffles! <laughs> Death Waffles! They open for baby metal. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I love baby metal, though. Mm-hmm. So, Ronan thought Blue and Gansey must have fought. She was as far away from him as she could get. They're so not subtle. Nope. And also, Ronan is oblivious to the heterosexual tension. <laughs> Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Gansey was clearly discomfited by what Mora had told him about Adam on the ride over. Or you're just freaking clueless, Ronan. <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> Gansey's were creatures of habit, and he wanted Adam here, and he wanted Noah here, and he wanted everyone to like him, and he wanted to be in charge. Okay, so maybe Ronan knows Gansey a little. Yep, I had Ronan has him pegged. No, no joke on that. <laughs> There would be no fucking of Gansey. <laughs> there will be no fucking of Gansey. <laughs> Ronan had no idea what he wanted. Well, he just really hasn't put a word to it yet. Yeah. And what do you want, Ronan? Mm-hmm. He checked his phone. My note here was, wow, he's actually checking his phone. Right. I also said, Ronan checked his phone of his own volition? It's a 4th of July miracle. <laughs> Do they have 4th of July fairies? (laughs) He wondered if Kavinsky really did have three balls. Seriously, Ronan? Mm Mm-hmm. He wondered if Kavinsky was gay. Seriously, Ronan? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He wondered if he should go to the 4th of July party. No, but you will need to. Mm Mm-hmm. He wondered where Adam had gone. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> See my previous point regarding obliviousness, and then his thoughts go, Kavinsky, gay, fourth Adam. Uh-huh. <laughs> Lynch, Gansey said, are you even listening? No. <laughs> Again, old married. Uh-huh. <laughs> the bit about Ronan being abruptly satisfied with Chainsaw as a dream creature just warms my heart. I know. <laughs> he hadn't even asked for her. His subconscious had just for once sent him something nice instead of something homicidal. Or something else sent her? 
The question is asked, uh-huh. so why are we here? And Mora turns to Ronan and says, because when Mr. Grey comes out here, I want you to look him in the eye and convince him not to kidnap you. Gansey elbowed Ronan. Ronan looked up sharply. What, me? And everything about this is so flipping funny. I know. <laughs> so checked out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mora tells Ronan that the Grey Man has been sent to retrieve the Grey Warren. Ronan felt a little thrill at the word. Yes, that's me. How did Niall know this word again? That's a good question. We never find out. And Callus snarks that it falls to Ronan's charm to convince the Grey Man to have mercy on him. He smiled nastily at her. She smiled nastily back. Both smiles said, I've got your number. <laughs> I need a Caloronan road trip movie a la Boys on the Side. That would be so funny. <laughs> so amazing. Renan feels like he's brought on this threat to himself and the people that he cares about because one by one, he was violating every rule in his life. I feel like this might come partly from being raised religious because I totally feel this. When things go wrong, I always end up thinking to myself, okay, where did I mess up? What am I being punished for? Mm-hmm. I can't help but blame Niall for this guilt as well. Also, Declan told you to stay low, jerk face. Uh-huh. Blue says that the Grey Man isn't the only one looking for the Grey Worm. Mm -hmm. And that's what the break-ins are, which prompts Ronan to finally put together what actually happened with Declan and the burglars. Right. Is he the one who beat up my brother? I should buy him a card if he is. <laughs> I can't decide if I find this more funny or frustrating. Yeah. Though I do know it makes me want to shake my head and say, Ronan. Yeah. I can't wait to see more about Declan in the upcoming books because we'll see if any of this is at all justified. Uh-huh. Maura asks if Declan would have told anyone and I'm sure he did. But don't worry. None of it was true. Angry face. Mm-hmm. It's like, Ronan, give your brother a break. The thing is, is that Declan tells the truth all the time. Uh-huh. It's just that he doesn't tell it in the way that Ronan believes it's true. Mm-hmm. Gansey asks what will happen to Mr. Gray if he doesn't bring Ronan back. Moe responds that death works as a short version of the consequences. Kala adds that for decision-making purposes, assume it's worse than that. Moe being straightforward but gentle, Kala pulling no punches. Yep, of course Kala doesn't sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. Blue half-heartedly suggests giving them Kavinsky instead, but Kala, correctly, says that if they take that other boy, they'll be back for the snake. Kala says that other boy. And wouldn't she know Kavinsky? Or has she not been told who the other boy is? She probably knows him, knows of him, but not enough to make him feel like an actual person, Mm. if that makes sense. (laughs) I'm still hung up on the how can she work at Aglenby if she doesn't know all of the students Mm. think. There was that heavy silence that sometimes happens when a hitman enters the room. I love Mr. Gray, and then I feel bad for loving him because hitman. Exactly. He is a problematic fave. Mm -hmm. Ronan recognizes Mr. Gray and thinks to himself that this wary predator did not say hitman to him. He was unassuming, all sly kinetics, but his eyes... A, I love this description, and B, that makes perfect sense to me. Being unassuming and being able to blend in is going to help him get to his targets. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that you even saw it, but there was an amazing detail connection that was sent to us by listener Matt. Did you see I the post? I saw this one. They said, okay, y'all, so I know the Dream Thieves is coming to a close soon, but I thought I should let you know. The Gray Man is a hitman, yeah. While he does embrace the color a heck of a lot, I think his name is a nod to Spy. Whereas a little gray man is meant to be forgettable and unimportant, which would be very useful to a hitman. Matt. P.S. You (laughs) guys make my day? (laughs) 
<laughs> like all the time. I can't express it with words how grateful I am for y'all. Gracious. And so I had responded to it, Mm -hmm. but I did want to put it in a little more detail in the episode, because from a few survivalist prepper websites I found, the gray man theory is a way of disappearing into the crowd so that you can move unnoticed when disaster strikes. The idea is that you can conceal your preparedness by blending in with the crowd before or during an emergency. The gray man doesn't just wear clothes that match what everyone else is wearing. He wears clothes no one will take note of. He doesn't just do things to fit his natural surroundings. He does things that don't cause your mind to take notice. Mm -hmm. He has no color, no smell, no texture, no emotion. He wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Being a gray man and having the ability to seamlessly slip in and out of situations unnoticed is an art form mastered by few. The best gray man is ordinary in every respect. He's of average height and weight. While you don't have much control over your height and weight control is a lifelong issue for many of us, there are a few things you can do to help yourself blend in more. And of course, there's a huge list, but Mm -hmm. I picked this one out. How you dress is an element completely within your control. For the most part, natural and neutral colors work best, browns and grays. Mm -hmm. Your goal as a gray man is to go unnoticed. Be the type of person that no one gives a second look. You are a wallflower. You blend in. Do this and you may survive. (laughs) That's really interesting. Yeah. And I also talk about there was a series of spy novels that was written fairly recently that's called The Gray Man. And I have that information up on our Tumblr and stuff. But thank you so much to Matt because that was kind of mind boggling. It was not a connection that I had made at all. So that was Mm -hmm. great. Thank you so much. And I had made the connection of that it would help. But I had no idea about the gray man stuff. Theory, that was actually, yeah. That, that was, was actually a thing. Thanks right. so much. Yeah, thank you so much. So Ronan was suddenly afraid of him. He was afraid of him in the same way that he was afraid of the night horrors. And I can totally see that. And the gray man is in the waking world. Mm-hmm. He felt the fear in his chest and in his face and in the back of his head, sharp and stinging like a tire iron. Oof, fuck, Maggie. I'll take painful literary parallels for a thousand, Alex. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Chainsaw scrambled to Ronan's shoulder and ducked low, eyes on the gray man. She cawed stridently just once. I love how Chainsaw mirrors Ronan's emotions. She is still his heart. Mm-hmm. The longer the gray man looked at Ronan and Chainsaw, the more his eyebrows furrowed. I really wonder what's going through his head here. Yeah. The longer he looked, the closer Gansey edged to Ronan, nearly imperceptible. At some point, it became the gray man watching the space between the two of them instead of Ronan. Mm -hmm. Gansey, seriously, what do you think you're going to do if he decides to take Ronan? Yeah. You don't even know how to throw a punch. This is true. (laughs) He knows just enough to be dangerous to himself. Mm Mm-hmm. The gray man says, if he doesn't produce the gray one, they're telling my brother where I am and he will kill me. He will do it very slowly. Mm. Ronan believed him in a way that he didn't believe most things in life. And what is it about the gray man or this statement that makes Ronan so sure of that authenticity? Shared knowledge of violence? There's a very black and whiteness about Ronan's view of the world. And he prizes people telling the truth. And the gray man seems to have a very 
interesting way of charming people into believing his authenticity. So I can mm-hmm. see that connection making right. sense to Ronan. This strange man would be tormented in the bathroom of one of the Henrietta motels, and then he would be discarded and no one would ever look for him. This is utterly chilling, and I agree with Ronan, utterly true. Mm-hmm. Ronan notes how easy it would be for Mr. Gray to take him, even with Calla standing by the gun that she had found earlier. If it came down to them versus Mr. Gray, he thought Mr. Gray would win. Even so, Ronan attacks Mr. Gray in a minute. Mm-hmm. It was like hearing the night horrors coming in his dreams, the inevitability of it. Yeah, Ronan realizes the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Gansey very softly said, please. More aside, brothers, said the gray man, by which he means fraternity. This seems to be the thing that defeats the gray man more than anything else. At once, the power went out of him. Mm -hmm. He says, I don't care for birds. Weirdly, I am only just now realizing he's talking about chainsaw and not the decor. (laughs) I literally, every reading before this, thought he was talking about the decor. (laughs) Chainsaw is so much like a character and so like... (laughs) The gray man says he's not a kidnapper, and then Mora shot a rather meaningful look at Kala, who pretended not to see it. Old marrieds. Uh-huh. The gray man says he is certain that he won't be able to go home again, and laments the loss of his books. And I think my books would be what I would miss most, too. Or maybe my stuffed animals. I'm trying to contemplate. <laughs> like, if you had to leave, what, what you would miss most? Yeah. I mean, beside the cats, that's obviously, like, obviously that would have to be number one. But I think my masks, because they're all very, they're memories. Mm -hmm. They're not objects. So I think the masks would be the top Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about, like, people. I was thinking physical objects. Right, yeah. That's why I said cats, obviously, Uh you know, number one. (laughs) Partner and cat. Yeah. (laughs) The gray man mentions it took him years to lose his brother before. I can't imagine being on the run for years, and I find it hard to imagine someone who could scare the gray man that much. Or, you know, he could just shoot him. Mm -hmm. Gansey, who had looked aghast at the idea of the gray man having to abandon his books, frowned even deeper. Of course Gansey would feel that pain. Mm -hmm. Blue suggests dreaming replacement Grey Worm, and Ronan growls that he's not giving this to anyone else. I agree with this. Giving that power to someone you know has bad intentions is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. All in all, it's not really a bad thought from Blue, though. If such a thing could even be done, it would definitely change the worldscape of the Raven Cycle. Absolutely. Ronan, of course, is angry. Angry that he's having to talk about his emotions. Uh Uh-huh. He knew he should be kinder. They were trying to help him, after all. Mm Mm-hmm. Ronan says that pulling stuff from dreams is killing the ley line as it is. You want to see Noah again? I'm stopping. Little does he know that it isn't that easy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. My note was, he can't. Mm-hmm. Ronan also thinks to himself, but Kavinsky's not. It would be like standing next to a giant bullseye. What exactly does he mean by this? Just that even if Ronan stops, Ronan will still be in danger if Kavinsky keeps dreaming because people will still come looking? I also question this line. And to go back to the Opal short story, I wondered if it was part of his fear of dreaming up Cave's Water again later. Mm-hmm. Like, drawing so much energy from the ley line would point straight to him as a dreamer. Right. There's no textual evidence for that thought. It was just something that came up for me. Yeah. 
Callus suggests that the gray man lie, which, hey, also valid thought. Mm -hmm. I find it so weird that Green Mantle is built up to be such a ruthless mastermind, yet he pretty much does tuck tail and run in blue. Yeah, he's not all that. No, he's really not. (laughs) Ronan asks what will happen to him if the gray man turns him in. Both Gansey and the gray man bark a sharp note in reply. Mm -hmm. I agree with them that that's not an option, but I also agree with Ronan that they should just effing tell him. Yes, very much. I wonder how much of this next section is the gray man honestly answering Ronan's questions and how much of it is him trying to scare and intimidate Ronan. I think both. Mm -hmm. In a description that sends chills up my spine, the gray man says his employer will find the thing that makes you work and he will remove it. He will put it in a glass box with a label and when his guests have had enough wine, he will take them down to where you are and show them the thing that was inside you and then they would admire the other things in the cases beside you. That is brutal. Mm -hmm. And yet nothing that we see from Green Mantle really actually implies that this is something that he would do. I know. The worst thing that we ever really see from him is him telling the Gray Man to kill Niall Lynch. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm sure that there are bad things that Green Mantle has done. We just don't see them. The Gray Man couldn't know that Ronan would rather do most anything than flinch. I think they're both trying to call each other's bluff, but the Gray Man has a lot more experience in this little game. Absolutely. With no visible reaction from Ronan, the gray man continues. It is possible that he would make an exception for you, but it would only be that he'd put all of you in the glass box. Still no reaction. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to one of the few things that will strike a nerve. Mm -hmm. He told me to kill your father as messily as I could and leave the body where your older brother would find it so that he would confess where the gray warren was. And my thought is, oh man, poor Declan. I know. How much was Declan really involved if they thought he would know where the gray warren was? Mm -hmm. And this is from the Raven King. At no point did Declan feel like he might be capriciously stuffed in the trunk of his father's car while listening to his father being roughed up or handcuffed and forced to watch his parents' barn get tossed in front of him or beaten senseless and left half dead in his Aglenby dorm room. Mm. That's page 195. Mm -hmm. Ronan predictably throws himself at the gray man after this and approximately three voices, note, not Kala, Mm -hmm. try to call him off. And it's like, how can any of them think that's going to work? Yeah. If someone had just admitted to killing my dad, no way would I be that easily called off. Mm-hmm. And I have never been in a fist fight in my life unless you count childhood scuffles with my brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't say the same. (laughs) I will say that a secret has been revealed. I think that's part of our drinking game. So I'll go ahead and take a drink. Woohoo! Okay. Three or four punches landed on his person. It was difficult to tell if it was through skill on Ronan's part or permissiveness on the gray man's. I'd put money on permissiveness on the gray man's part. Mm -hmm. He was almost certainly expecting this reaction. And as tough as Ronan is, the gray man could take him. And he does quite handily. Mm -hmm. Then the gray man gently threw Ronan across the breakfast table. As if to prove my point. Mm -hmm. I love gently. Uh The gray man isn't even trying to hurt Ronan. Mm -hmm. Morris shouts out at Mr. Gray forgetting his fake name in the heat of the moment. A friend texted asking if Mora ever calls him anything else. I looked through the books and she does not, but I do wonder if she at least knows what his real name is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Chainsaw cannonballed toward the gray man's face. As he ducked his eyes against her, Ronan slammed into the gray man's stomach. He somehow managed to include several swear words in the blow. Ronan, venting all his anger and grief in the most Ronan of ways. 
He has been waiting for this moment. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Gray has yet another reason not to care for birds. Uh-huh. The gray man searching for footing smacked the back of his head against the door jam behind him. A significance in the head hit? Back of the head. Ah, ah, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Possibly. Kala yells out for the pretty one, Gansey, to stop writing. Gansey replies that he thinks this is justified. I would have to agree with him. Mm-hmm. Also, pretty one confirmed, because from page 165, Kala readjusted, wrapping the silk around her other thigh instead. Which one's he again, the pretty one? <laughs> Blue and Gansey exchanged a look. Blue's look said, I'm so, so sorry. Gansey's said, am I the pretty one? <laughs> And I also think that Gansey sees that Ronan won't win and the gray man probably won't hurt him. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to take this away from Ronan. You're not going to stop him. Yeah. <laughs> the gray man has Ronan in an indifferent headlock, lol, uh-huh. <laughs> and says he understands, but it wasn't personal. To which Ronan replies, it was to me. Yes. Like, for real, hitman or no, how can killing someone's dad not be personal? Yeah. And poor Ronan. He has a broken heart. Mm-hmm. And of course, it is very personal, but this does go back to that concept of weapon versus the one wielding it. And I think Ronan eventually assigns all culpability to Green Mantle and not the Gray Man. Mm. Ronan slammed one fist into one of the Gray Man's kneecaps and the other tidily into his crotch. The Gray Man dropped him. The floor rose up to tap Ronan's temple quite abruptly. Mm-hmm. Ronan's not an easy opponent. Pretty sure this drop is half intentional, but only half. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> there was a pause filled only with the sound of two people gassing for air. Not actually easy for either of them. Mm-hmm. I find this a particularly poignant mental picture. Ronan is speaking from the floor, voice muffled by the tile pressed against his cheek. Mm-hmm. Ronan says, no matter how much you do for me, I'll never forgive you. He's defiant even when he knows he's beaten. Mm-hmm. The gray man panted, they never do. Does he tell many of the victim's loved ones that he killed their dad or brother or mom or sister, whatever? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and does Ronan forgive him? Like, does the gray man earn forgiveness throughout the books? Do you feel like Ronan forgives him eventually? I think maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that the gray man becomes an integral part of... Of the group. The group. Mm-hmm. And we've said this before, but he becomes almost a protector mm-hmm. or, you know, someone who's looking out for the kids. Right. And I, too, wondered what the they never do implied about the gray man's past. Mm -hmm. I love the symmetry between Ronan heaving himself up and Blue handing him chainsaw. And then the gray man standing up, Mora handing him his jacket. Uh And then the gray man gives chainsaw the stink eye. (laughs) (laughs) The fight ended. The gray man announces that unless he thinks of a better idea, he's going to call Green Mantle on the fourth and say he's keeping the gray war in for himself. And then he's going to run. And I think the gray man is running from his brother way more than Green Mantle here. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mora is the one that asks what he's going to do. And the gray man looks at her as he answers. To me, it's a very palpable, sad action. And the last words of the chapter are, I run, which also seems to echo the previous chapter, action. Right. Chapter 55. It's an Adam point of view chapter. 
Adam finds joy in his new abilities to feel the energy of the ley line and tries to commune with Caveswater. Persephone shows up with exactly what Adam needs. Mm-hmm. I just want to read this whole chapter out loud. It's so beautiful and it makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. The whole first passage, seeing Adam be in a place where he recognizes his own importance, that he is special. It's mind boggling how anyone could ever read this chapter and think that Adam doesn't have emotions exactly. or connection. Adam is reveling in the fact that he doesn't need the GPS or the EMF meter to find Caveswater or the ley line now. He was the detector. If he focused, he could feel the line far below him. It sputtered and flickered, deprived and uneven. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could also be an apt description of Adam at this point. Mm-hmm. I think he's coming into balance, though. That's mm-hmm. kind of what the whole ritual was for. Adam sees a storm coming and thinks to himself that he wasn't worried about the rain, but lightning. Mm-hmm. I've never been afraid of lightning, but there's also almost always something taller than me around. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I wonder if any of Adam's unease about lightning here comes from Caveswater. Mm-hmm. Since, you know, trees are quite tall and can't take shelter. There are no trees at the moment, though, so... I, That's true. I figure probably he's making the connection between the frayed ley line and what would happen if this, like, awesome bolt of energy flashed through it mm-hmm. could cause a lot of destruction. Right, because he says, actually, lightning might be useful. Mm-hmm. He made a note to remember that later. And there's Adam we know and love, practical and logical. And from earlier in The Dream Thieves, he thought about the way the car had stammered before it died, using up the last of the battery before it couldn't go on. And now Caves Water was gone, using up the last of the charge. But that didn't make sense. He'd activated the ley line. It kept blowing out transformers in town because it was so strong. There shouldn't be a lack of energy. Mm-hmm. That's page 122. The trees hadn't begun to flip their leaves. And did we talk about this when we talked about weather prediction? Yeah, that's actually what inspired the whole deep dive in episode 14. (laughs) (laughs) And here we have another reminder of just how thin Adam has spread himself and how worn down he is. It had been so long since he'd felt like this, like he could devote his thoughts to something other than when he might get to sleep, like his mind was huge and whirring and hungry, like anything was possible if only he threw himself into it hard enough. This had been how he had felt before he decided to go to Agwan B. Mm-hmm. World, I'm coming. Feels a lot to me like, look out world, here I come, except that Adam doesn't give a flying you-know-what if the world is prepared or not. Yeah. <laughs> it made me think of the world card, that last card in the journey through the tarot's major arcana. That's a good point. The everything is spread out before you card. The meaning of the world card is fulfillment, achievement, and completion. Mm -hmm. It shows a naked woman wrapped in a purple cloth dancing inside a large laurel wreath, and that's the rider, weight, and clones. She looks behind her to the past while her body moves forward to the future. In her hands are two wands or batons like the one the magician holds. It is a symbol that what was manifest with the magician has now come to completion with the world. Mm-hmm. Adam wishes he'd thought to bring some tarot cards from Fox Way, already confident in his ability to communicate with Caveswater through them. Mm-hmm. Adam wishes and Persephone then appears. Mm-hmm. He had forgotten them because it seemed more urgent to return to this place where the ley line was strongest. Mm-hmm. It's that fugue state that he was in when he woke up. Absolutely. Adam thinks about his bargain and how that in return he can feel Caveswater giving him something he wanted to name life or soul or knowledge. As I said last time, it's very much a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. It was an old sort of power. And I'm so excited that we will hopefully get more about the lore of this world in Call Down the Hawk. Right. 
Adam is relishing in the beginnings of his something more. Mm-hmm. Something in him said, ah, and ah, and ah, again. Mm-hmm. He feels himself finally and free. And to me, there's a hint of sadness that he thinks he didn't have to worry about hurting or wanting anyone else. Mm. It's that lonesome. Yeah. Adam's smile gets bigger and bigger as he remembers how excited Gansey had been when the machine told them they'd found something when they were here before. And when do we ever see Adam really smile? It's not often before this. Mm -mm. There are a few times after, but not before this. Right. And now Adam felt it in his hands. He felt it in his spine. He could see it mapped in his brain. And he is just exuberant in this newfound power. Right. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The ley line traveled beneath him, waves of energy, but it detoured here, snagged and conducted through the water, traveling upward to the surface. Mm -hmm. Thunder rumbled, reminding Adam of time's passage. Adam, drawn back from his state of bliss, remembering there's still work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. The ley line strengthened inside him, tripping his heart, but he kept going. Part excitement, part the ley line acting almost like electricity. Right. He's walking across the landscape, almost like walking through a dream. His memory of walking through it the first time was nearly as clear as experiencing it again. He's imagining each location as he walks across this featureless field. Mm -hmm. Here was the pool in the dreaming tree, the first place cave's water had changed itself for Gansey and the first place magic had truly revealed itself to all of them. Mm-hmm. He thinks about the vision that he had in the dreaming tree. Gansey on the ground dying. Ronan saying, are you happy now, Adam? This is what you wanted, wasn't it? I've talked before about how this scene becomes true in the church in Blue Lily Lily Blue, except that it's Ronan's body dying. Mm -hmm. And from that, Ronan's arms were streaked with blood and his hands were pinpricked with visceral juicy wounds. His jeans were soaked black. The church carpet glistened with it. And then Ronan says later, it was the night horrors came and then the wasps. Mm. That's chapter 31. That wasn't going to happen now. He changed his future. He changed in a different way. And here's Adam attempting to go against fate. It still happens, but it is different. Mm-hmm. And I think we did, but did we talk about whether the dreaming tree shows the future or just extrapolates like a worst case scenario? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't think we ever came to a specific decision, but I think mm-hmm. we did talk about it. It's been two years. We don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's enough evidence to say for sure one one way way or the other. Mm -hmm. Adam waded through the grass to where the dreaming tree had been, would be, was still... Apparently, time isn't the only thing that's circular, chicken. Mm -hmm. If cave's water exists in all places at all times, then all of the above. Mm -hmm. Crouching, he parted the grass and pressed his palms to the soil. It was hot, like a living body. He closed his eyes. Mm -hmm. I love this image, this moment of communion. Yes. He felt the course of the ley line stretching out on either side of him. Hundreds of miles one way, hundreds of miles the other. There were distant starbursts where the line intersected with other lines and for a moment he was dazzled by them and he still feels this wonder later on closing his eyes adam allowed the ley line to seize his heart for a few beats now he knew which direction it ran beneath their feet and he could feel how it intersected with another line many miles to their left and how it intersected with two even farther away to his right 
tilting his head back. He sensed the stars pricking overhead and he felt how he was oriented in relation to them. That's page 56 of The Raven King. Mm -hmm. Glendower was miracle enough, but if there was a miracle on each line that he felt, it was enough miracles for a lifetime. If only you had the patience to look. And this makes Adam think of Gansey because Gansey had the patience to look and because things wanted Gansey to find them. Mm-hmm. And question, is he feeling Gansey in the energy of the ley line? Either past or future versions of Gansey or like given that they are one and the same? Mm-hmm. He might be. That may be what made him think immediately of him. think of it. Mm-hmm. Adam wanting Gansey there is like an upside down reflection of Gansey wanting Adam in the last chapter. Right. Mm-hmm. Immediately after that thought, though, he basically starts thinking of this as his moment again. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't work like this if he was here. You have to be alone for this. And I wonder if that's part of the Cabeswater influence, because it was Cabeswater that was telling him he was Adam Parrish, army of one. Right. Mm -hmm. He senses the fraying of the line and was afraid wire energy leaking at a hundred different points. I feel it, he whispered. The wind hissed through the grass around him. He opened his eyes, finally figuring out how to communicate with Caveswater, how to actually be its eyes and hands. Mm -hmm. He thinks about repairing those points. Like electrician's tape on a wire. Adam, mechanic, engineer, magician. Mm -hmm. Adam thinks to himself that it felt good to have identified the problem. Solutions were easy once you knew what was in your way. Mm -hmm. And that really does seem to be how Adam works. It's very Slytherin of him. Yep. I love the flow of this next moment. Adam feels Caveswater trying to tell him something. He wishes again that he'd thought to borrow some tarot cards, and he looks down the hill to see Persephone coming. It does have great movement. I am very, very happy that Maggie gave Adam this moment before Persephone came, though, Mm -hmm. to exhibit that it's not Persephone that is making Adam magic, right? but he is changed fundamentally by the experience of the ritual. Right. And I always love the adjectives that are used to describe Persephone. Mm-hmm. Here it's whimsical and imaginary, a great cumulonimbus of hair, ambition, childlike expression, airy whisper of a person. It just adds to my thoughts of Mora, Kala, and Persephone as an earth, water, air goddess triad with Persephone as air. Mm-hmm. I might challenge you a bit on Kala as water, but I agree with you on the other two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just like the colors of. Mm-hmm. The- I love purple and I'm fire. <laughs> purple's my favorite color technically i'm fire i do have a lot of water influence so <laughs> he initially thinks that she might be a manifestation of caves water and was she in his ritual mm-hmm. but then he saw that she had a shadow and form and mass and that she was a little out of breath just a tiny detail, but it does ground us, the readers, just as much as it likely grounds Adam in this moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Adam is worried that Persephone is going to somehow chide or deride him, which breaks my heart for how much he's had to mistrust the authority figures in his life. Right. He's had no positive support. Uh, yeah. He thought about what a cruel mockery that mirror version of her had been. It's very Alice through the looking glass. And I was trying to remember if Persephone and Opal ever meet. I don't think they do. I don't think so either. And I wonder if would Opal somehow ever so slightly possibly think that Persephone could be a dream thing? She might. Mm-hmm. There might be some of that energy on her. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to see. Yeah. And then Persephone gets there and says, you left Adam before. 
before I could give you these, Persephone hands Adam a silk bag. Oh, my heart. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. I love it. It's very sweet. Yeah. Adam thinks to himself that Persephone, saying his name just then, felt like she was reminding him of what it was. Adam. Adam Parrish. And then he slides the cards into his hand and immediately thinks, magician. Mm-hmm. Adam's journey of self-discovery summed up so concisely it gives me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Persephone said, my tarot cards. This struck me as half, I could read your mind and knew what you knew you needed this, so here it is. Mm-hmm. And half, you're on a journey of discovering and I'm helping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and the cynic in me says, and half, do you think that Persephone knows she'll be dead in eight weeks? It's so sad. Yeah, that's part of why she's giving him her set. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the Opal short story where they say that Persephone thought that Adam would take her place. Or is it in The Raven King? It might be The Raven King. Okay. I remember that from somewhere, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I don't remember off the top of my head, of course. Chapter 56, Ronan's phone POV. (laughs) Ronan gets a text. Yep. Our notes are going to be like five times longer than the actual chapter. Hey, Lynch, I didn't leave that car for it to just sit while you blow three. (laughs) It's so desperate and jealous. Uh Like, it's very, come play with me, please. I know, right? It's like, please pay attention to me, damn it. Yeah. And there is a comment on Maggie's website from Nadine. Hello, Maggie. I was wondering if you can help me. I purchased The Raven Boys and The Dream Thieves in ebook format. However, chapter 56 from The Dream Thieves in ebook format was incomplete. It was exactly a half a sentence long. <laughs> is there any way you can give me a copy of chapter 56 so I can finish the book? I would really appreciate it. <laughs> And Maggie responded, Hi, Nadine, I'm glad you're enjoying the book. So, chapter 56 is only one sentence long with no punctuation, just a single text message. Your ebook is correct. Hope that helps. So stylistically, what do you think about this chapter? What is it trying to get across and is it effective? It's a difficult one. It's Mm -hmm. like it almost others Kavinsky even Mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. just because like he's not even getting through anymore. There's no even contact with the other characters. It's just yelling into the void, basically, Mm -hmm. because Ronan's not listening to him anymore. Right. And to me, it is that very like visceral desperation that he's Mm -hmm. showing and that jealousy like I gave you a gift why aren't you paying attention well because he didn't ask for it this is (laughs) I showed you my crotch please respond (laughs) well he showed Gansy his crotch it's true okay and then Monster Exhibit on Tumblr asked, Important question, why is chapter 56 of The Dream Thieves only a sentence? Any motivation behind it? Maggie Steve Otter answered, Structure's not, not the boss, boss of me. me. Okay. Chapter 57 is a gray man point of view chapter. The gray man gets to spend a lovely evening full of domesticity at Foxway before making a run for it. Mm-hmm. The gray man moves out of Pleasant Valley bed and breakfast and into 300 Foxway, but... He didn't unpack his suitcase. It was not that long until the 4th. There was no point. Mm -hmm. 
This passing acceptance of lack of stability is made even sadder by how much he obviously loves the quiet is the wrong word, but the, the everyday domesticity of Fox Way later. Mm-hmm. Kella says that if he gives her some poetry, she'll make him a drink. And the gray man quotes, our hearts must grow resolute, our courage more valiant, our spirit must be great, though our strengths grow less. It's the Anglo-Saxon version of be brave braver than that. Mm -hmm. Then he immediately says it in the original Old English because he knows what she wants. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I love that he already has these playful connections with the ladies of Foxway. I know, right? I noted that too. Mm -hmm. Then Mora made something with butter and Kala made something with bacon and Blue steamed broccoli in Mm self-defense. Blue's like, Jesus, eat a vegetable, people. It cracked me up. I do find it interesting she's eating something other than yogurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not like she doesn't have her own food and preferences. This is, mm-hmm, right. <laughs> and this is the adorable domesticity I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. The gray man got underfoot trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. It was a senseless sort of dance, artful and confused. Blue and Mora had their own orbit. Mora and Kala another. He watched Mora's bare feet circle on the kitchen floor. Mm. It was the opposite of everything he had cultivated for the past five years. How he wanted to stay. He wants to be again, even though it was just a day ago he was thinking how he wanted not to exist. Mm -hmm. It's so deeply sad. And he thinks, this isn't a life for who you are, he told himself. But for tonight, he would pretend. Just this once, we can pretend and then we'll never speak of it again. Mm. Lots of people pretending at what they think they can't have. Absolutely. Mm. (laughs) Amora asks what what Kavinsky might want to make him stop dreaming, and Blue replies, what does a drug addict want? Nothing. It's pretty unfair. Yeah, it is. A typical response from people who aren't familiar with addiction, but unfair. Mm-hmm. Mora might be slightly closer, but it's probably somewhere in the middle, like most any other human. Right. And the whole conversation after the gray man says that he could talk to Kavinsky for them is so hilarious. I know. Blue's like, sounds great. Mora gave her a look. What she means to say is no thanks. No, I meant to say, and can you make him feel worthless while you do? Blue Sergeant. Mora looks shocked. I didn't raise you to be violent. Kala, who'd inhaled some bacon while laughing, clutched the table until she stopped choking. That was me just now. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I was laughing so hard. And Blue says, dangerously, sometimes bad things happen to good children. Mm-hmm. The gray man was amused. He mm-hmm. adores her already. I think he adores the ladies of Foxway in general. Mm-hmm. This whole conversation is the best, for mm-hmm. real. And then Gansey calls, offering the dream Mitsubishi to the gray man rather than his rental. Morris says that Gansey says it was actually Ronan's idea. And how do you think that went down? I think that Gansey suggested it. Mm-hmm. I think it was Gansey's idea. Like, <laughs> and then Ronan agreed and didn't uh-huh. actually suggest. Well, he says that it was Ronan's idea. The gesture warmed the gray man considerably. Mm-hmm. Is he right to be warmed or is Ronan just trying to get rid of the millstone that Kavinsky has left him? I think it's a little bit of both. It's like, mm-hmm. sure, he wants rid of the Evo, but I feel like it's not exactly a peace offering, but something akin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had left a dirty pot in the sink at his home back in Massachusetts, and he would think about it forever. Mora hangs up the phone. She looked narrowly at Blue. Did you two fight again? (laughs) They are so not sly. No, they are not. And I absolutely adore this next exchange. 
I can have a talk with him as well, the gray man offered. I'm good, she replied, but thanks. My mother didn't raise me to be violent. Neither, observed the gray man, did mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> he ate his broccoli and butter and bacon, and Mora ate her butter, and Kala ate her bacon, and Blue ate her broccoli. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's yeah. eating some of all of them. Like, mm-hmm. he, he, he wants this so much. Yeah. Under the black, spreading branches at the beech tree, they kissed until the mosquitoes became relentless and the rain began to fall. You get it, girl. Yep. (laughs) Later, as they lay in her bed, his phone buzzed a call, and this time it went into voicemail. Somehow, he always knew it would end this way. Can't even wrap my head around this, living in constant fear. I know, right? I think my insides will be constantly churning. Mm -hmm. And then laying there in the dark, the gray man listens to the voicemail. Hey, Dean, said his brother. His voice was slow, easy, patient. The Allen brothers were alike that way. Henrietta is a pretty little place, isn't it? And I am not sure whether it would be scarier to listen to that message or just know it's there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, we're going to put the deep dive in here. Yay, deep dive. Woohoo! All right. So this deep dive is, in some ways, going to be an extension of last episodes. Mm-hmm. We talked about rites of passage and a little about the hero's journey, and now we're going to talk about journeys to the underworld. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of myths that involve this concept, but first we should probably define it. Right. <laughs> the trip to the underworld is a theme found in the mythology of a diverse number of religions from around the world. The hero or upper world deity journeys to the underworld or to the land of the dead and returns, often with a quest, object, or loved one or with heightened knowledge Mm -hmm. the ability to enter the realm of the dead while still alive and to return is a proof of the classical hero's exceptional status as more than mortal Mm -hmm. a deity who returns from the underworld demonstrates end of the world themes such as the cyclical nature of time and existence or the defeat of death and the possibility of immortality Mm -hmm. katabasis is the epic convention of the hero's trip to the underworld most katabasis take place in a supernatural underworld however Catabasis can also refer to a journey through other dystopic areas. The term catabasis can encompass brief or chronic stays in the underworld. In this case, however, the catabasis must be followed by an anabasis, or a going or marching up, in order to be considered a true catabasis instead of death. Mm-hmm. In Greek mythology, the underworld is both a physical and a metaphorical spiritual place. There are real-life rivers and lakes and caves that you can go visit that the ancient Greeks believed were gateways to the underworld. Physical gates that had the living world on one side and the underworld on the other. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to compare this with the journey to the underworld that Adam took last episode, where the underworld was completely internal and personal. Persephone and Adam use a ritual and tarot cards to pierce a metaphysical veil, and the underworld opens up for Adam. Right. This concept of the veil between worlds has its origins in the spiritualism and theosophy movements of the 19th century. Partly. <laughs> It worked as an explanation as to why when you went to these named real places, there weren't actually gateways there. Mm -hmm. The idea was that the gates were still real and the underworld was still there. It was just hidden from us. Mm -hmm. So the sheer number of instances of myths involving the hero diving into the underworld for wisdom is part of what inspired Joseph Campbell's idea of the monomyth, which we talked about in the last deep dive. Mm -hmm. This concept is so ingrained in our stories that it drives the plot of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is often regarded as the earliest surviving great work of literature. And the second half of the epic, distress over his friend Indiku's death causes Gilgamesh to undertake a long and perilous journey to discover the secret of eternal life. 
He eventually learns that life which you look for you will never find. For when the gods created man, they let death be his share, and life withheld in their own hands. Another interesting thing to note is that in one version of this story, Indiku is the one who goes to the underworld to try to help Gilgamesh. He fails, but Gilgamesh entreats the gods to bring him back. Mm -hmm. The earth splits open, and Indiku's ghost comes out. The tablet ends with Gilgamesh questioning Indiku about what he has seen in the underworld. And so we have, in the earliest of our recorded stories, the idea that the underworld is a place underground where people go after death, that they can come back, and that they possess some kind of knowledge when they do. Mm -hmm. I personally wonder which can first burial practices or this belief mm -hmm. but that's a question that's way too big for this deep time correct <laughs> <laughs> And during the same time as Gilgamesh, we have what may be one of the precursors to Persephone, the Mesopotamian Sumerian goddess Inanna. In the poem The Descent of Inanna, which was circa 1900-1600 BCE, we have a chronicle of the journey of Inanna, who was considered the queen of heaven, from her realm in the sky down to the underworld to visit her recently widowed sister Arishkagal, queen of the dead. Arishkagal herself is said to have been abducted, taken down to the underworld by the Kerr and was forced to become queen of the underworld against her will. The poem, The Descent of Inanna, begins with the lines, ancient poetry corner, yay! From the great above, she opened her ear to the great below. From the great above, the goddess opened her ear to the great below. From the great above, Inanna opened her ear to the great below. My lady abandoned heaven and earth to descend to the underworld. Inanna abandoned heaven and earth to descend to the underworld. The poem then goes on to describe Inanna's descent to the underworld, accompanied part of the way, by her faithful servant and advisor, Ninshavur. Arishkagal is not at all pleased by her sister's visit, which is couched under the terms that Inanna is there for the funeral of Arishkagal's husband, but is quite possibly a move for power. Also, she possibly caused her sister's husband's death. Yes, there's lots of like <laughs> interpersonal, mm -hmm. they're not getting along great during this. <laughs> <laughs> Arishkagal orders that the seven gates of the underworld be bolted and that Inanna is only allowed to pass one gate at a time. And before each gate, she is required to remove some of her clothing so that by the time she reaches the inner throne room of the underworld, she is naked of her royal goddess status and powerless. Mm. Arishkagal then kills her sister Inanna, and Inanna was turned into a corpse, a piece of rotting meat, and was hung from a hook on the wall. A bit of a gruesome trophy, I have to say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> However, and smartly, Inanna had instructed her servant, Ninshabur, to come to her aid if she didn't return within three nights, which, as a moon goddess, could be explained by the dark of the moon. Mm -hmm. Also, you mentioned Jesus later. Three days. Ah, yes. <laughs> Ninshabur went to Inanna's father, the god of wisdom, Enki, and Inanna was successfully resurrected by Enki's servants, carrying the food of life that they sprinkled on her corpse. Mm -hmm. But she found herself unable to leave the underworld as easily as she entered it, and in fact, returned demonic. Hmm. Interesting. The poem goes on, and there's several more aspects that are reflected in later myths, like Inanna's husband being banished to the underworld and his sister off offering to go instead, so they end up switching every six months, explaining the seasons in a similar fashion to Persephone. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the story of Persephone. She's the daughter of the goddess Demeter, who was kidnapped by Hades and later became the queen of the underworld. She was used by the ancient Greeks as an explanation for the changing of seasons. And modern audiences have a tendency to infantilize Persephone, but even in the original myth, she was portrayed as dreamy-eyed goddess of spring. Mm-hmm. She was known as Kor, which means maiden. In some ways, Kor is her name above ground, and Persephone is her name as the queen of the underworld. Mm-hmm. Persephone possibly being derived from destruction or murder. Mm-hmm. And Persephone, lovely as she was, had many suitors, and there's some reasons behind that. Mm-hmm. But her mother Demeter was fiercely protective. Hades, the god of the underworld, is said to have seen Persephone once picking flowers in a meadow and fallen in love with her instantly, and asking Demeter for permission to marry Persephone, but being denied. Some versions of the myth have Hades abducting Persephone as soon as he saw her, while others say he whinged to Zeus, who got tired of his emo brother and concocted a plan to distract Demeter and split the earth open, allowing a path for Hades to snatch Persephone and take her to his kingdom below. Demeter went into a pre-Amber Alert panic, searching for her daughter, (laughs) even though Hermes, or Helios, depending on the story, was like, hey, I totally saw Hades take her. Mm -hmm. Demeter has her own adventures while trying to find Persephone, or she threatens the gods and mortals with drought and famines if she's not returned, Mm -hmm. or they happen due to her grief, depending on the story. Right. That basically eventually get Zeus to send Hermes to negotiate for Persephone's return. Mm -hmm. Versions also differ on the pomegranate seeds. Some say Persephone was warned not to eat anything in the underworld, but she ate three to six seeds. And some say Hades tricked her or surprised her by putting a seed in her mouth, knowing that either she would pine for the taste and want to return to the underworld, or that the rules of hospitality would bind her to his land. Mm -hmm. Because of the pomegranate seeds, Persephone spends half of the year with her mother, during which the earth is bountiful and fruitful and Demeter is happy, and half of the year with her husband Hades, where all crops wither and vegetation dies. Mm -hmm. And I'm just gonna skip over all the bits about Zeus because ugh. It's gross. He's super fucking gross. (laughs) So much of our western concepts of what the underworld is like and what happens if you journey there comes from Greek mythology Mm -hmm. and the three Greek myths that pop immediately to my mind are Persephone which we just talked about, Orpheus, and Odysseus. Mm -hmm. We'll kind of glance over Orpheus real quick. Orpheus was a musician with the ability to charm anyone or anything with his music. His wife Eurydice dies and Orpheus in his grief embarks on an ultimately unsuccessful journey to Hades to bring her back. Mm -hmm. And there's not really a quest for wisdom involved. It's the going to rescue like a lost loved one. Mm -hmm. So this one actually feels more connected to this stuff that happens with Blue Lily Lily Blue with rescuing Mora. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Another bit of trivia. I don't think anyone needs to know, but my doves. I had a breeding pair of doves named Orpheus and Persephone. (laughs) 
And then to touch on Odysseus and his connection with the underworld real quick. Odysseus was instructed to make a journey of a very different kind and find your way to the halls of Hades across the river of ocean because he's looking for a way home. Mm-hmm. And like when he gets there, he consults the soul of the priest and prophet Tiresias about a means to return home to Ithaca. He sacrifices a ram and a ewe so that the countless shades of the dead and gone would surge around him. And then he meets and talks to the souls of the dead. And so again, we have the heroes seeking wisdom from the dead. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me that there is a tradition in mythology both of bringing the dead to the living to talk to them mm-hmm. and going on a journey to search for their wisdom. And Odysseus does both. Mm-hmm. Now, an interesting tie into Welsh mythology, because I like to try to tie it in with I can, because Glendower, right. is the story of Puel. While hunting in Glencooch, Puel, Prince of Diffid, becomes separated from his companions and stumbles across a pack of hounds feeding on a slain stag. Puel drives the hounds away and sets his own hounds to feast, earning the anger of Aron, lord of the otherworldly kingdom of Anwen. In recompense, Puel agrees to take on Aron's appearance and trade places with him for a year and a day, and takes his place at Aron's court. At the end of the year, Puel engages in single combat against Hafgan, Aron's rival, and mortally wounds him with one blow, earning Aron overlordship of all of Anwen. After Hafgan's death, Puel and Aron meet once again, revert to their appearance and return to their respective courts. They become lasting friends because Puel slept chastely with Iran's wife for the duration of the year. As yeah. in like, yeah. Dude, <laughs> hey bro, you totally didn't sleep with my lady. Uh, mm-hmm. You're cool with me. Gotcha. <laughs> and as a result of Puel's successful ruling of Onwen, he earns the title Puel Pin Onwen, Puel Head of Onwen. It's interesting that in this case, our hero doesn't specifically seek out entrance to the underworld in order to gain wisdom, but rather stumbles into it. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting to note that both Puel and Aran benefit from this exchange. Aran returns to a defeated rival and total control of the underworld, and Puel returns to a thriving kingdom and appreciative subjects because of the wisdom Aran has shown in ruling over the past year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so obviously, like we mentioned before, we've been focused mainly on Greek and Middle Eastern myths because that's what we're culturally familiar with. But this theme shows up in many, many cultures throughout the world. Mm-hmm. In Norse mythology with Odin, sort of, while he's sacrificing himself on the tree and later carrying around Mimir's severed head as a council. And you have Baldur who dies and goes to hell and comes back. Mm-hmm. And then some branches of Christianity teach that Jesus spent the three days he was dead in hell and then there's in Buddhism you've got Framalai who's a monk who travels to hell to teach his denizens mm-hmm. and you've got in Japanese mythology Izanagi and Izanami in Maya mythology there's the Maya hero twins in the Vedic religion Ushas Dawn is liberated from the Vala by Indra in Hinduism Emperor Yudhishthira descends into Naraka and Ohalon mythology, which is a Native American mythology, Cockney fights body of stone. In the Yoruba religion, Obatala, the dying and rising god of life, the Yoruba cultural center. In the religion of the Mongols, King Gassar launches an invasion into the realm of Elric to save the soul of his mother. Mm-hmm. You know, just a random list from various different cultures. Yes, mm. all over the world, our first stories. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Culturally significant. Absolutely. And chapter 58, it's an Adam POV. Adam and Persephone work on repairing the ley line, and Adam gets a revelation about what the hurry is about. Mm. Hurry. 
This is how the chapter starts out. This is exactly how the last few chapters feel. We're getting so near the end. Absolutely. Everything just feels urgent. And that refrain we see throughout this chapter of hurry, hurry, hurry just feels right. Mm -hmm. Adam and Persephone work through the whole night talking very little as the pugilistic sun rose the next morning. Pugilistic sun. Yes, I thought of you when I noted this because you hate summer and I can totally see you describing the sun as pugilistic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Adam knelt before a deceased rose in another backyard. I'm betting it's the same one that the gray man photographed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Hurry, she said once more. This chapter has the word hurry at least eight times that I counted, and this is already number three. Yep. The 4th of July was already hot and unforgiving. I can feel it. I hate July. As already noted, so do I. (laughs) Why couldn't I have been a winter baby? The heat would build and build until it snapped in another cacophonous thunderstorm. Summer in the hills. I miss the thunderstorms. Mm -hmm. Lightning. Once again, it is one single word on the page. This idea keeps pinging in the back of his brain. Mm -hmm. This project involves a lot of trial and error, mainly involving digging up rocks and moving them around. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Adam had only to turn his stone to feel the ley line immediately snap into place. Clean as a light switch. Other times, though, he had to experiment by moving more stones stones into the area, or removing a stone entirely, or digging a trench to redirect a stream. Sometimes neither he nor Persephone could understand what they needed to do, and then they would draw out one or two of the tarot cards. Yeah, for such a studied person, I like the fact that Adam is learning by doing here, mm-hmm. and Persephone is really good at only giving him a little bit of guidance. Right. Using the tarot cards was like when he had begun learning Latin. He danced ever closer to that moment when he would understand the sentences without having to translate each word. He's already doing a pretty darn good job. Mm-hmm. He was exhausted and awake, euphoric and anxious. I've had many defining moments that feel exactly that way. Hurry. Somehow they were like the rocks at Stonehenge or Castle Rig. Something about them conducted the ley line's force and dragged the energy out of line. I totally did not know or had forgotten about Castle Rig. It's in Northwest England and is super pretty. I dropped a link to the English tourism site about it in the show notes. Yes, but I actually wanted to go into it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. The stone circle at Castle Rig, it's alternatively Keswick Carls or the Druid Circle, is situated near Keswick in Cumbria, Northwest England. Mm. An editor's note, it's nearish where Niall was born. Mm Mm-hmm. Most stone circles date to the early Bronze Age, which was about 2000 BCE to 800 BCE, but Castle Rig is much older, constructed around 3000 BCE in the late Neolithic period. Castle Rig is about 97 and a half feet or 30 meters in diameter and formerly comprised 42 stones. There are now only 38 stones, which vary in height from three and a quarter feet or one meter to seven and a half feet or 2.3 meters. One of the more unusual features of Castle Rig is a rectangle of standing stones within the circle. There is only one other comparable example at the cockpit, an open stone circle at Ascombe Fell near Ullswater. 
archaeoastronomers have noted that the sunrise during the autumn equinox appears over the top of Threckled Knot, a hill 3.5 kilometers to the east. Some stones in the circle have supposedly been aligned with the midwinter sunrise and various lunar positions. Castlerigg Stone Circle makes a brief appearance in the writings of Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who visited the site with William Wordsworth in 1799. And I think we talked about the lake poets Mm -hmm. in one of our previous episodes. I think we did. Mm -hmm. Coleridge wrote, describing the view from the circle, The mountains stand one behind the other in orderly array, as if evoked by an attentive to the assembly of white-vested wizards. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I need to take a day trip to the Stonehenge replica in Washington. Yes, I did not realize that was a thing. Yes. Oh, wow. relatively close. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Persephone frowns at the road. It's like she's knowing that a car is coming before it comes. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, she found Callan and Mora. She knows, yeah. <laughs> I get such a clear mental image from the description of Persephone looking like a doll dug from a landfill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hurry. The rock Adam feels compelled to move in this instance is a large one underneath the dying rosebush. He goes to dig up the rosebush and Persephone stops him telling him, you should say sorry when you kill something. I agree. I think it's part of the reason why most cultures that I know anyway have a thankfulness ritual before food. Saying grace or in Japanese you say itadakimasu before you eat and Mm -hmm. yeah. Saying sorry feels different than saying thank you to me. Or, like, asking permission or explaining why you're doing something. Mm, Yeah, different but related, I think, maybe. I can see where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Adam says, it was dying anyway. To which Persephone replies, dying and dead are different words. Agreed. And I feel like she's trying to teach him to get in touch with his spiritual, mystical side here, which he will need. And also, it makes me sad to hear Persephone talk about death and dying. Mm -hmm. Shamed, Adam muttered an apology. Adam doesn't want to be heartless, and Mm -hmm. I think he does feel the rightness of what Persephone is saying. Right. And Adam does indeed say sorry before he uproots the rose bush. And when he finally gets the rock free, he immediately knows they should keep it. It will be useful with the lightning, he thought, for concentrating the ley line into cave's water, for making a gate. A gate. That's an odd thing to think about. It is. They get into the Hyundaiota and pull away just as that car Persephone must have sensed pulls in. Hurry. Mm-hmm. Persephone is laying tarot cards on the dashboard and the smudgy inked art looked like thoughts instead of images. That's a very beautiful and very true way of describing tarot. Right. Adam asks why the ley line is fraying now, and Persephone responds that it's always been fraying, but it's more noticeable now that there's more current running through it. Mm -hmm. She says that before, there would have been priestesses to maintain it. I do have to wonder what priestesses she's talking about. I don't know. (laughs) I like that Persephone considers Stonehenge a very large and cliche example of what they're doing. Right. And I wonder if clear ley lines equals enough power for all the dreamers in the world to manifest. That would be so cool. Or would it? Or would it? (laughs) Adam wonders aloud what the world would be like if all the ley lines could be repaired. Persephone replies, I expect it would be a very different world with very different priorities. Bad? He asked. A bad world? 
She looked at him. Different isn't bad, right? He asks. I'm like, oh, sweetie, I can just hear the am I bad because I'm different that he really wants to ask. Hmm. But she doesn't really answer him. And she turns back to her cards instead. Mm-hmm. Adam thinks about calling work and thinks about calling Gansey, but hurry. Mm-hmm. Pulling back on the interstate, they see a white Mitsubishi screaming in the opposite direction on the other side of the median. Kavinsky. But was that Kavinsky behind the wheel? Nope. <laughs> it is likely the gray man, but Adam doesn't know that. Right. I wonder if his thinking about Kay is what triggers the card that Persephone pulls. Maybe. Persephone turns over another tarot card, the devil. All of a sudden, Adam was quite certain of why they were hurrying. Kay is probably the surface meaning, but there are others as well. Mm-hmm. Is that a questioning? Yeah, that's a questioning. The, the devil, the demon mm-hmm. that's under the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, the gates. Right, yeah. <laughs> and from later, in The Raven King, the devil... 1,000 images were triggered by that single word, devil. Red skin, white sunglasses, his brother Matthew's terrified eyes in the trunk of a car. Dread and shame together, thick enough to vomit up. Mm-hmm. That's page 138 from Ronan's perspective. Right. And then Adam thinks, the restoration of Cave's Water isn't life or death, but something about tonight will be. Mm-hmm. They were restoring it now because Ronan was going to need it tonight. Hurry. Mm-hmm. Chapter 59 is a Ronan point of view chapter. Ronan suffers through the worst church service ever and discovers that Matthew is missing. Mm-hmm. We go from the devil card to the church. Yep. Ronan notices three, they just don't stop, mm-hmm. things immediately upon arriving at mass that morning. One, the priest has a black eye. Thanks to the gray man, but mm-hmm. Ronan doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Two, Matthew wasn't there. And three, people had left room beside Declan for Ronan and Matthew. Mm-hmm. Ronan thinks of how for weeks after Niall died, they would leave space for their mother without thinking. I'm working on that, Ronan thinks to himself. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, it's so sad. Yeah, Declan or the boys have stopped leaving room for Aurora. That is incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, understandable there. Like, you Absolutely. move on. Yeah. But it's still sad. He was quite late to the special mass. It looked like insolence. Religion is the one thing Ronan is not insolent about. I was going to say, when has this ever bothered him before? (laughs) (laughs) So Ronan says they're already doing the scripture reading. And it's one that he liked before. Of this one, I am proud. And I wonder what passage is being read here, because I don't remember this one specifically, but my thoughts go to Matthew 3.17. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it mm-hmm. searching. I so. looked too. Yeah. I'm oh. guessing it's that one. So Brandon thinks to himself that he was really only late because he went with Gansey to pick up the gray man from the car rental office. The boys had given him the Mitsubishi and in return, Brandon had gotten the puzzle box back. It seemed a fair trade. A dream thing for a dream thing. Mm-hmm. Declan and Ronan began and arguing about where Matthew is, neither of them know, of course, loudly enough that they get dirty looks from the other parishioners. And how many times have they heard Ronan and Declan fight? Probably a million. Yes. Although maybe not as much as you think because Matthew is there to keep them. That is true. <laughs> Guys, be holy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Declan hints that maybe Matthew is skipping to pay Ronan back for missing the past weekend, when he was with Kavinsky, forcing him to spend the service alone with Declan. Mm-hmm. Ronan guiltily admits to himself that He'd been lying on the hood of an invented Camaro and he hadn't given a second's thought to what day it was. I'm still slightly fuzzy on the timeline of how long they were out there, but what else is new? (laughs) 
Renan thinks that would have been an excellent punishment, but tells Declan, oh, please, he's not that clever. Declan looks shocked and poisonous. He was always so alarmed by the truth. I roll, Ronan. <sighs> Jesus. Yeah. Stop being so mean. Ronan asks if Declan saw Matthew this morning. They do live together. When would Maddie have gone missing between then and now? That's a good point. Mm -hmm. And Declan is likely freaked out as well. After all, he was attacked because of Ronan, though he didn't tell Ronan that. So he's got every reason to suspect that something could have happened to Matthew. Right. And Declan loves him just as much, honestly. Right. Both Declan and Ronan treated Matthew as their security blanket. It on page 169. Mm-hmm. Declan basically starts whisper yelling at Ronan that this is all your fault. I told you to keep your mouth shut. I told you to keep your head down. Why can't you just do what you're told for once? And I'm like, oh, Declan, I understand where he's coming from. And you know why? He's basically right. If Ronan hadn't stolen the pig, this mess may not have happened. Mm-hmm. Or at least not this way. Mm-hmm. And also, Declan would totally lose his shit if he knew Ronan had been high with Kavinsky all weekend. Or maybe he does know. I don't think he knows, but yeah. <laughs> Someone kicked the back of their pew. It struck Ronan as an extremely uncatholic action. <laughs> and it cracks me up. Mm-hmm. And then he stares the dude in his submission. I know. I love that so much. <laughs> Ronan tells Declan to stop acting like he knows everything. Declan replies, oh, I know enough. I know exactly what you are. And I feel like there's shades of Kavinsky in that, like, I know what you are. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that from Declan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But earlier from Matthew's comment, Ronan realizes that Declan knows that he's a dreamer. Uh So this statement, while coming from the same place of knowledge, I know what you are, is far more fraught coming from Declan. Because after all, Declan has had to live with Ronan for 17 years of his life. And he's known about this all along. Mm-hmm. In fact, Ronan was only here because of Matthew. And without Matthew here, there was no reason to stay. He slid out of the pew. I'm sure that this looks horrible to Declan, but this mode of thinking is actually like a little bit of growth on Ronan's part. Mm-hmm. Because like he's not staying there to argue. He's not like mm, he's not being confrontational. Yeah. is what you mean. Okay, he's just going and doing what needs to get done. Right. And Declan tries to get control of the situation, and Ronan put a finger to his lips. A smile snaked out on either side of it. It's such a <laughs> wicked expression. It's the Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Declan just shook his head, lifting a hand like he was simply done with Ronan. And that, of course, was another lie. He was never done with Ronan. But at that moment, 18 and freedom seemed a lot closer than it had before, and it didn't matter. Again, growth. Mm-hmm. Ronan heads out of the church, trying desperately to get a hold of Matthew. He couldn't let it go. He didn't know why. Maddie is the person he loves more than anyone else. It's mm-hmm. no wonder he's frantic. It was the gray man's face and the beaten up priest and the world turned on its ear. If his father was killed in the search for the Grey Warren, of course he's going to think that Matthew could possibly be in danger as well. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. Finally, he gets a text from Matthew's number that reads, What's up, mofo? (laughs) Before he can do more than think, that's a really weird text to get from Matthew, an identical text comes from Kavinsky's number. Mm -hmm. Something ill turned over inside of Ronan. Yep, confirmation that the something isn't right feeling he's been having all morning was correct. Mm -hmm. K texts again. 
Bring something fun to 4th of July or we'll see which pill works best on your brother. Just thinking about getting a text like that sends shivers down my spine. Mm-hmm. It's more brother danger, mm-hmm. you know, referencing that the gray man is in danger from his brother, but from an unexpected quarter. Right. Ronan calls Kavinsky demanding to know where Matthew is. You know, I asked nice the first few times. Are you coming to the 4th? Are you coming? Are you coming? Here, have a motherfucking car. Are you coming? Sadly, Kavinsky probably does think that this is how to woo someone. He's so desperate for attention that even bad is good. Mm-hmm. And then Kavinsky blames Ronan, telling him, you made it ugly. Then tells him, bring something impressive tonight. I'm not doing this, Ronan said. One thousand nightmares of Matthew dead. Blood in his curls, blood in his teeth, flies in his eyes, flies in his guts. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I can just feel the clinch in Ronan's gut here. Yeah. Kavinsky replies, Oh, I think you are, or I'll keep trying different things on him. He can be my finale tonight. Boom. Want to see something explode? I'm like, Jesus, Kavinsky. He has very clearly jumped the track here. Mm. Ronan tells Kavinsky he won't get away with this. And Kavinsky says, I got away with dear old dad and Prokopenko. And no offense to your brother, but they were a lot more complicated. We talked before about what actually happened to Kavinsky's dad and Proko. And I have to say, it doesn't feel like he's bluffing or bullshitting here. Mm-hmm. And also, yes, they probably were more complicated because they weren't dreamed by a three-year-old. Right. <laughs> Some fans use this line as justification that Kane knows that Matthew is a dream creature. But there's really no evidence for that. Mm-hmm. Ronan doesn't even know that Matthew is a dream creature yet. So Kay would need to have some sort of preternatural sense for it. Mm -hmm. So if he does know how. Right. And in my opinion, he's just implying that he killed Proko and his dad and then brought them back. So he can do the same with Matthew. Right. Hence the getting away with it. Right. Brennan tells Kavinsky, this was the wrong play. I will destroy you. To which Kavinsky replies, don't let me down, Lynch. And that, that destruction of himself is what he's after. Yes. With me or against me. And Kavinsky has fully embraced against me. Right. All right. That's the end of the chapters. Woohoo. MVC time. Do you have an Woo-hoo. MVC? I do. I had a hard time deciding. Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. I'm going to say Persephone. Adam. (laughs) It's the exact opposite of last time. Oh, my God. I had a kind of a three-way tie between Persephone and Adam and the Gray Man. The Gray Man was my other one. Yeah, definitely. It was To me, it was between Adam and the Gray Man. Uh Uh-huh. So... Okay, we so Rochambeau. Rochambeau? Okay. One, two, three, shoot. Ah, again! <laughs> yes, which is good because that means Persephone doesn't get it twice in a row. <laughs> so, Adam. Adam okay. is great in this because he is. he is finally feeling and accepting his power. Yes. And it's really great to see this different side of Adam with joy and connection and feeling alive and feeling like he's a part of something. And absolutely super important to me. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Me okay. Too. All right. Maggie, watch. 
Okay, I don't want to spend too much time promoing like individual things, but I did see an announcement from Owlcrate that they will have an exclusive Call Down the Hawk box. It may be hard to get if you're not already a subscriber to Owlcrate, which I am not, (laughs) but we will put a link in our show notes in case folks are interested. The box will include a signed edition of Call Down the Hawk that has an exclusive cover with artwork by Maggie on the back of the dust jacket. It will also include a collection of items inspired by Call Down the Hawk, all of which supposedly have been approved by Maggie. Yay! And she said on Twitter, I did one of my favorite pieces of art this year for something that will be in this November Owl Crate box. The dust jacket, something else. Cool. Yeah. Hopefully someone will be able to get one and tell us. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know that we'll be able to get our hands on one. <sighs> and then a supporter shout out. I wanted to say thank you to a couple of listeners who have been interacting with us lately on Facebook. And I'm not there super often, but I do notice when we get messages or comments. Mm -hmm. So thank you to Zoe and Jen for leaving comments and following us there. Mm -hmm. And just kind of a weird thing that I only just realized that people can actually leave us reviews on Facebook. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. (laughs) So in case you're interested, you actually can leave us reviews on Facebook. Hmm. Yeah. And, of course, continued thanks to our amazing patrons. Yes, thank you guys so much. Mimi. Andrea. Jamie. Nancy. Chelsea. Lynn. Dee the Shadow. Amanda. Tiffany. Louise. Alina. Bella. And Hannah. And you have all helped us cover our hosting, as we've talked about before. And I'm almost feeling like the website is a possibility, too. We'll see how that goes. And research is being done on getting that stuff all set up. Yeah. Well, with that... The only thing we can say is obviously check us out on Patreon if you want to support us there. And And thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 60 through the end of The Dream Thieves with a deep dive on dragons, which I absolutely love. (laughs) (laughs) Shannon got super excited when I told her that's what it was going to be. So follow us online. And I'm going to say Please subscribe wherever you get podcasts if you're not already subscribed, especially as we go into a break between season two and season three, Mm -hmm. because we might be releasing things onto the feed between the two. And the only way that you'll find those things is subscribing. And again, we are also planning on doing a celebratory end of season two to a year episode. So we'd love to have your contributions to that. Feel free to send us an ask or send us like moments that you've loved questions for us yeah any of that kind of stuff you can find us practically everywhere on social media at raven girls r-a-v-i-n-g-i-r-l-s on twitter at raven girls on tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com facebook at facebook.com slash raven girls and you can reach us directly at raven girls at gmail.com also our patreon and coffee are both at raven girls mm-hmm. you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or at gmail at substance party with all of the A's taken out S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com 
If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiefvater and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. So until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! Someone kicked the back of their pew. It struck Rosen. Bleh. Someone kicked the back. Someone kicked the back of your. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you say Jesus Christ <laughs> as you're talking about uncatholic actions. <laughs> Someone kicked the back of their pew. <laughs> no, I'm laughing. All right. <sighs>